Praise God. Turn to Psalms, please. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. And if you're here for the first time, there's an A4 piece of paper. You might be sitting on it. Grab a hold of it. Psalm 37 and verse 4. We've got a lot to get through this morning. I want to start there. Psalm 37 and verse 4. The book we were supposed to be doing today was the book of Job. But we'll do that next week if that's okay. Because I just want to keep pace with what God is saying to us. Psalm 37 verse 4. We all know off by heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you what? The desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn. The justice of your cause like the noonday sun. And that's a a much quoted piece of scripture. Just look up a moment, folks. They say that one of the problems with modern day Pentecostal churches is that they're not Pentecostal. That we don't hear prophecy. That we don't hear people singing in tongues or speaking in tongues. And how true that is. At least wise, nowhere near enough. That is absolutely true. There's not enough of Pentecost. The Pentecostal experience around. Today, I, w- I want to talk about you. Because, do you know what folks? Look at me, please. There's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than meets the eye. You are body, soul and And just like the church has really, in many parts of the world, dipped into a time where we have Pentecostal written over the door, but we're not Pentecostal in our experience, so it is also true, I believe, that for many of us, even though you have a spirit, the vast majority of our lives, the vast quantity of our lives can be lived out of our soul, out of our flesh without reference to the Spirit. There's more to you than meets the eye. There's more to you than meets the eye. If you're born again, the fullness of the Godhead lives in you. Hallelujah! How powerful is that? Are you born again? Put your hand up. Wow! That's nearly everyone in the place. Then the fullness of the Godhead Father, Son, and Holy Ghost lives within you. Now, how on earth can we live without reference to Him? He is truly a patient God. He is so patient. And we can be so rude, so rude and ignorant towards His presence. Silencing him, numbing him, not listening to him. But he tarries with me and he tarries with you all through these times, all through these years. But just over the last three weeks, folks, God's been poking at you and prodding at you. And he wants to talk to you about your future. Now, this is truly an exceptional church because most of you are incredibly responsible people. Very good people. This is the best bunch I have ever led anywhere. It's an outstanding church. A very different type of church. Everson once said to me, 
There's so many highly qualified people in this place that if we put our heads together, we could build a bomb. That's what he said. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't think that was a very good idea. No, I'm only joking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but there's an awful lot of people here with gifts and talents and things that God can use in the kingdom. And I know I'm, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm on a theme and I know I'm harping on, but, and people say to me, you know, I can hear them thinking, they say, doesn't Pastor Mike realize you've got to get a job? <laughs> what planet does he live on? Why doesn't somebody tell him we've got to go to work? Why doesn't somebody tell him I've got to feed the kids? Will you listen to me? How many of the 12 people that Jesus called were working full time? How many? 12. All 12. I was working full time. I have been where you have been. I have been where you are. But you have not come the road that I'm talking about. Okay? It, they were all full-timers. They were all in a career. They were all going somewhere. They were all busy. So don't play that one. I've had it all my life. From people who don't see beyond the soul. And don't recognize or live in their own spirit or even contact the spirit within them. You have a born-again spirit in you. The fullness of God lives in you. Now for heaven's sake, will you let him speak? Will you let him direct your steps? Will you let him direct your life? Will you stop it today? And will you make some foolish decisions for once? Instead of being oh so smart and oh so wise in the eyes of people. Because believe me, the day will come when those applause will fade. And you will stand forever before Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. And on that day, you will surely get your life in perspective. Now the clock is ticking. And the day is almost done. The Lord is coming back and we have much to do. Much to do. In a few weeks time, Pastor Tom will be back and we will be shifting positions. This church has had three phases. Pastor Winston and Sister Eunice did a fantastic job. One of the best, I think, I've certainly seen it in the world. First class church planters. And that was their phase and their era. And I did my part. And Pastor Tom will take it from here. And my part from that point on will be to establish in Eastern Europe, and particularly Eastern Europe, and to see our churches in the UK extended. So we need people. It's always the same. Just can't get the staff, huh? You need people. And everybody has their own excuse. I just got to go and bury my dad. I just got to go and... Uh, I just got to... Uh. Everybody's got their own story. Everybody's got their own stuff. Nothing new under the sun, huh? Nothing new at all. Well, let me just give you a little glimpse this morning. A little glimpse of some of the, the kingdom stuff that may never have entered your mind. A little glimpse, a little moment that may change your mind for the rest of your life and may change your history. For a start, look at the top of your list. You've got two drive sections, if you like, within you as a human being. I want to ask the question, what is a desire anyway? Well, there's a carnal part of you. That word in scripture doesn't only mean sinful. We tend only to think of it negatively. It's not only negative in the Bible and neither is the word lust. 
The word lust is used to describe a strong drive. So you can, you, you, you can lust after the spirit in your life sort of thing, okay? So the carnal side of you, these drives are your needs, your wants, and your lusts. And that's the natural side, both negative and positive. But there is another part of you, the spiritual part of you, and it is in this place, in your spirit, that these things that the Bible refers to as desires live. Now, what's a desire? What does the word desire the word mean? The word desire means D, off or from. And the word sire means father. And basically, the, the scripture paints this picture of you and of me that we, we have this soul and this body with needs, wants, lusts, negative and positive. But there's another part of me, my spirit. And in my spirit, God my father has deposited in me certain things that He wants for me. They're actually His desires for you. So inside of you, there exists this knowledge. Now please, once again, look up and please listen with all your heart, folks. You're keeping secrets. You have secret things that you know about. You have things that you have thought that you have never told a soul. There are thoughts that have entered your mind about your life, about what you should do or could do, about the possibilities. There are things that have entered your mind and you have never told a soul. And people come to me regularly and they say, Pastor, I've never told anyone this. And what they're getting at is they've got a little glimpse into their spirit. Because that's where these unspeakable, unbelievable things live. The desires of God for you. The desire of, of your Father's heart for you. And when you're born again, He puts those desires in your spirit. They're inside. But they shouldn't stay there. But the sad reality is for many, many people... They're born again, but they die never having found that spiritual side of them. Spock, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. You see the carnal list there, for example. Your needs, your wants, and your lusts. These are the things we pray for. Friday night, no problem, go right ahead. You pray for your needs, you, you cry out to God and... That's largely perfectly right. But the desires are not so much the things we pray for, you know. The desires are, are, are there in full already. We already have them. They're already God's will. You don't need to ask Him for them. You don't need to ask God for those things. There are, these are things that are already in you. You pray about the other things. It's quite a different issue. Quite a different issue. These are things that it is already the will of God. He has already apportioned to you some direction, some goal. And when you get a glimpse of that, that gives you a little inclination of the will of God for you. Let me read to you this, sound, uh, this proverb. The desire of the righteous ends only in good. 
The desire of the righteous ends only in good. In other words, what God puts in you, His desire for you, is only good. If you can find it. If you will seek it. And if you will look for it. Last week we said, remember, 97% of people die saying that they didn't think, they don't think they found the will of God. The destiny. Found God. But don't believe 97%, only 3% on earth, believe that they actually achieved the destiny or at least something of it that God wanted. In our cell group this week, in Renfrew, I was just saying to the guys, you know, there have been times in my life, and probably right now also, that I would say I'm in the 3%. No problem. But I can't guarantee that, can I? What about next week? What if God speaks again? What if He continues to direct my paths? And what if I disobey? Then I drop back into the 97% again. And I may know the difference, you may not, but I can feel it in my own spirit when I'm wavering on the path. Just because you experience what it is to understand and achieve something of God's destiny for you doesn't mean you're going to stay there. So don't be presumptuous. But seek it. These things, needs, wants, lust, the things you pray about, these things, these desires, you don't actually need to pray for them as such. What you need to do is fight to enter into them because they're already there. The things that God has already granted. Direction for you, where you will find fulfillment. How can I back that up with scripture? Well, there's a few examples here. Adam is a very good example. Say Adam in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam is born. It's his first hour, first day in the kingdom. He's walking around in the Garden of Eden. Adam could die of hunger. Adam could have starved to death. Oh, there was fruit everywhere. There was food all around. But if God had not put in Adam a certain thing called hunger, Adam would not have known the provision was already fully provided. It was all there. What was the hunger, tell me? The hunger in Adam, the hunger in you, is very simply God's way of telling you, I've got something for you. You need to go get it. The desire for food in Adam was a nudge to him. I've provided for that. It's already there and he reaches out and he feeds himself. And so when you get a desire, when something inside starts kicking and starts telling you of its presence, you can know that that godly thing, that righteous, these are righteous things, God has already provided. You know, have you heard this six degrees of separation theory? They reckon that each of us are only six steps away from achieving our goal, achieving our dream. Just a worldly statistic, but it's probably not far from the truth, you know. I don't know how long there would be between the steps. Step one, could be a couple of years till step two, but nonetheless, you can understand how just a little bit of adjustment and a little bit of adjustment and another little adjustment and man, you're through. You're right through because God is on your side. So today, I hope that this rings a bell in you. And if it doesn't, you need to fast and pray and seek the spiritual part of you. Another, I mean, Adam's just one example. But look at 
Jesus. Read these words for yourself. Mark chapter 11, verse 24. Mark chapter 11. I'll read from the New King James Version. Therefore I say, this is Jesus talking. Therefore I say unto you, whatsoever things you desire, when you're praying, believe that you have received them and you will have them. Now look at me a minute, folks. Here's my needs, my wants, my lusts, my strong desires. I'm praying. And Jesus says, when you're standing here, and when you're praying, and suddenly you see the Spirit, suddenly you see your desires. It's a different category. When you're praying, and you get a glimpse of something that God has, believe in it. Believe in it. Carry on praying for your life. That is honoring and fitting. But believe in these things and you will receive them. It's already the Father's will for you. This is also confirmed in the prophets. Look at the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65. The fact that the provision for the desires in your heart, the things that you know God has for you are already granted. Isaiah chapter 65 verse 24. Before they call. I will answer. Before you start praying, if you're going down the road of your desires, you can know that God is with you. As I say, these things within the Spirit are largely, often sadly, unspoken. There are secrets that people keep and they don't need to. But I can tell you from my own experience over the years, this year, I think I need this, and I want that, and I have a strong drive to achieve ABC. But next year... Well, I might not want that now. Next year, my, my needs might change and what I thought I needed, I don't, blah, blah, blah. See that carnal list? It changes. Your carnal needs, desires, whatever you want to call them, they flip-flop depending on your age, depending on your life circumstance, they change. But li- please listen, folks. See the desires? Never change. The desire is the same Yesterday, today, and forever. It's part of your spirit. Your, your, your spirit is complete, remember. It's complete. Your spirit today, the Holy Ghost, if you're born again, is exactly the same today as it will be forever. There's no such thing as spiritual growth. It's a misnomer. It's our soul that changes, you see. Not your spirit. Your spirit's complete. And in that, it's our job to unpack that. So these things... They come and go, but the spirit, the things in the desire realm, the Father's heart for me, these things do not change. They don't. I, look, have you ever seen those punching bags where you can punch it and it bobs over and it comes back up? That's what desire in you is like. You can knock it over and say, well, it's just a vain dream, just a stupid thought. That thing will bounce back up every day for the rest of your life. Your needs will vary. Your wants will come and go. Your drives will come and go. But the desire that God puts in your heart will remain, He will remain faithful to it till the day you die. It will always be there. Hallelujah. He's a faithful God. Now you can say, well, that's all very good news. Is there any, you know, scary stuff? Yeah, next bit, I'm afraid. Because we all have one big problem to face in terms of reaching and entering into the Spirit and receiving the desire of the Father for us. And that is this, our relationship with men. How do, I, how do I relate to the men in my life? How do you as women relate to the men in your life? I've lost count of the number of women 
married women who have come to me and they've said, Oh, you know, I have trouble worshipping God and I have a trouble with the concept of God as Father because my father abused me or my father was nasty or my husband's no good and my whole concept of God is screwed up and I can't get on with God because of that. Ladies, listen a minute. Listen to this. Please. Let me tell you a secret. <laughs> Every man in your life will let you down as long as you live. Every man in your life will fail you at some level. I had the most excellent of fathers. Did he let me down? Yes, sometimes. Did he fail? Yes, many times. Every man who ever comes into your life will fall short of your great expectations. So be careful of unrealistic ideas in your head. Because they'll only make you, as a person, unhappy. Where we're going today, where I believe God wants to end up with you, is your relationship with God, your Father. Jesus turned one day and said the most unusual of things. He says, you have no Father but God alone. You have no other Father. Matthew 23 verse 9. You have no father but God alone. Wow. What a good God he is, eh? Do you know why Jesus is saying that? He's saying that to you so that you don't get hurt. So that you don't put false expectations on the men in your life. Your husband, your sons, your boss, your pastors. Because false expectations and, you know... Dreams will only make you unhappy and you will be constantly down because people don't live up to your standards or whatever. See, psychologists call this by various names. One group call it the father wound. That within all of us, within the human race, from the minute the relationship between Adam and the father was broken, all of us as descendants have this little bit of Irkiness, this little bit of distance between us and our earthly father, even though we love them. And I loved my father dearly, dearly. He was easy to love. He was a very respectable individual. But I do understand the nature of what they call the father wound. Because that can debilitate my relationship with God. If you are going to be a healthy Christian... You need to have a relationship with God the Father, a relationship with God the Son, and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the truth is, most Christians, either all they'll talk about is raving Pentecostals, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Or in our stream, it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. But the truth is, that's an imbalanced unhealthy, unbiblical Christian life. A healthy Christian has a relationship with all three aspects, all three persons in the Godhead. You know God your Father. You know the Son. You know the Spirit. And whatever's missing in you on these levels, don't underestimate the damage that can do. Because each one of the Godhead ha has their own roles. Remember, we repent towards the Father. All repentance is towards the Father. You believe in the Son. And you receive the 
Spirit. You repent to the Father, you believe in the Son, and you receive the Spirit. And that's the only way for an ongoing, healthy Christian life. But as I say, it's missing. It's missing in our era. Another thing I would say about those two lists, the carnal list and the spiritual list. See the carnal list. When I was a child, I used to ask my daddy, I used to say, Abba, daddy, I want an ice lolly. Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. It's, it's the Abba phase. And that's wonderful. That's fantastic. We need to go there. You need to understand that. You need to have experienced that, the goodness of God your Father. But stay with me, folks. Jesus did not continue calling his Father Abba. That was a phase. That was an example to you. He went on to call his Father, Father. And you can be in neither of these because you're focused on Jesus and think that's okay, which is wrong. Or you can just be in one of these where God is an eternal sugar daddy. You see the carnal list? Your needs and wants and, 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 and drives, lusts. See that list? This is Abba! Daddy! It's okay. Daddy, I need you to do this. Daddy, I've got this need. Abba, Abba, Abba. But you know the desires? They're over here. You know the desires? They're from your father. You're growing up now. And you need to move over, need to grow up, keep moving. There's a time and place for prayer and there's an Abba relationship. And sadly, maybe for some of you, as I'll explain in a minute for me, maybe for some of you that just was not there or has never happened. You can hear it in people's conversation. God is a good God. And these things are progressive so that we grow in our relationship with God and enter into whatever plan He has for you. Now, I tell you, I've yet to find a circumstance that you can't find in the Bible. It's this problem, it's this issue of being distant from my earthly father, having problems in the way I view or get on with my earthly father. Is this in the Bible? Where can I find it? Who's the example? And of course there is. It's right there in the Bible. It's in the story of two men. Listen carefully. One of them didn't, well, he just wasn't a people person. His name was Elijah. And he had a disciple called Elisha. And Elijah just didn't really relate to people. He was a very special person, Elijah, one of the only three on earth that didn't die. Right? Enoch, Elijah, and Jesus. That's it. So Elijah is no pushover. It's just, listen up, folks. I reckon, looking at his life story, I reckon that Elijah's father was probably pretty cold. Elijah's father probably never sat him on his knee very much. Maybe he was a bit of a disciplinarian. Maybe he was a bit strict. Whatever. Times are changing. My father was born in 1911. And that era is not famous for warmth or whatever, this was the so-called Victorian era, the leftovers, and that had certain aspects about it. And that can affect the way I view God. Of course it can. But now we've come like full circle where there was a lot of discipline with certain generations. Now there seems to be no discipline around at all. So whatever happened with Elijah, he definitely wasn't a people person. He was a very poor discipler. 
He was a very poor mentor. He was a very poor pastor as such. He was a prophet though, and one that God obviously loved dearly and, and pulled out of the earth, didn't let him die. It's incredible. Now let me tell you about Elisha. Elisha was the exact opposite. But Elisha was a very smart guy. Because, listen please, because Elisha never demanded of Elijah what he didn't have. Elisha knew he's not very good with people. That's all right. I'll make up for it. He never demanded of him. And some of you, believe me, ladies, men, it doesn't matter. Some of you place expectations on people and you're asking them for things they just don't have. And if you do that, you'll end up getting frustrated. The only loser in that scenario is you. It really is, because you'll end up with a life of complete frustration. And Elisha was smart, because he looked at Elijah and said, this is who the guy is. Now he's in the position, he's the senior prophet. So do you know what I'll do? I'll accept him just the way he is. And if he lacks, I'll make it up. Very good. He ended up gaining his anointing, not just his anointing, but a double portion. Good, smart work there, Elisha. So, he was a very different individual. And both these men, ironically in Scripture, God talks about the Father. In both these individuals, he talks about the problems they had. You can read it, you can see it all over the place. And you can see how God wants us maybe to enter into that. Look at 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 20. This is whenever Elijah has called Elisha into ministry. And just before Elisha responds to him, in verse 20, he turns and asks him for a favor. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen and he ran after Elijah and he says this. Let me kiss my father and my mother goodbye. <laughs> Hallelujah. What do you think of that, eh? He said, imagine saying that to Elijah. Do you get it? No, you don't. Never mind. He'd probably strike you dead. You know what I mean? You sound, it, does, it just doesn't sound right. Right? Elijah, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said. What have I done to you? I've called you into ministry and here you, look, Elijah's not good. In this situation, you know, in, in this particular situation, the point that we're getting here is that Elijah really didn't care much about mom or dad as such. And here you've got a young Elisha with a tender heart and a solid relationship. And he says, first of all, before I follow you, I need to go back and make peace with my father. Let me first do that. And Elijah says, okay, go, go right ahead. And today, folks, is one of the first steps that you and I need to do is we need to make peace, of course, with our earthly fathers. Because any damage there will reflect on your relationship with God. Now look at me a moment. Please listen, folks. Ladies, do you know what I want you to do? Will you let your husband go? I don't mean let him go out the door. Eh? Stop making demands of him that he's not able to do. Children, will you let your fathers go? Just let them go. Do what Elisha did with Elijah. Look at your dad. Look at your husband and say, do you know what? This is what I've got. 
This is the person I have and this is the person I will honor. This is the person I will obey. That is a blessed day for any wife, for any husband, for any child, for any Christian. That you just let those men in your life be. You know, Jeanette has four children, but one of them grew up with me. And his name is James. I've mentioned him to you very often. He's a real gentleman, much greater gentleman than I will ever be. He's just the way he is. Super nice, super sweet guy. He was very easy to raise. As a father, as a husband, I'm very, very good. As a father, I was not that. I was okay. It's the best I would say. It's a fair assessment, a truthful assessment. I was okay. And I was a bit guilty. I heard that there was a father and son conference going on and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll persuade James to come with me. And he was about 17 at the time. It was in a Bible college in Ireland. And I said, would you come? He said, yeah, no problem. And we went and it actually, it was fantastic. It was far better than I thought. And he's a big lad. He's bigger than me, you know. And I said, I don't know, there's about 30 fathers there and 30 sons. Some of them had two, three sons. And at one point in the week, at weekend, they separated the fathers from the sons, you know. And dads were all sitting over there. The sons were all sitting over there. And the leader of the conference said this. He said, I want the fathers, when you're ready, when you feel right, I want each of you fathers to get up from that side of the room and walk over to your son and say sorry. Sorry about all the mistakes I made. As I raised you, I'm sorry for the things I did wrong. I'm sorry for the bad testimony or witness I gave you here, there. And so there was just this time of silence when the men all began to get themselves together, you know. And I remember some guys went and they went and sat with their sons. And when I felt right, I was, man, I was destroyed. I was absolutely destroyed. I was falling apart. And I thought, right, I'll just go and say to James, I'm sorry I'm sorry. I just could have done so much better. And I started, sorry folks, I started to move towards him. And you know what he did? He didn't let me. And he ran across. He said, stop. He wouldn't let me. I, I went, and he stopped me. It was the most mature and gracious thing he ever did. And he more, I'm putting words in his mouth, but he more or less said, shh, shh quiet. It's not fitting that you should come and repent. I said, well, it is actually, but never mind. I receive your grace and thank you. For... Do you know what he was doing to me as a man in his life? Do you know what he was doing? Letting me go. He was just letting me go. And that, what that does in his heart is it frees him up for a relationship with who? With his father. Because he's made room. He's like Elijah. Good move, James. Good move. It frees up his heart. It gets everything in line. It gets everything in order for the blessing of God to flow in your life. So I say to you as children, as husbands, as wives, as members of a church, will you let me go, please? 
I fail you every day as a pastor. No question. You could have pastors a gazillion times better and you'd be far better off. So I'm sorry. And I mean that. I'm not just saying it. I apologize for all my shortcomings. Will you let me go? Did you say no then? Miriam, did you say no? No, okay, good. Will you let me go? Because you need to. Same with your husbands. Same with my overseers. Think about the people who have overseen my life. Some of them have been atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. But hey, you're there to make up the gap. You're there to fill in what's lacking in them. This thing's lacking in you, by the way. It's always good to remind yourself that every day people give you grace. It's always good to remind yourself that. Amen? People are giving you a lot of grace. A lot of patience every day. Now give some back. Just what my son, my stepson did to me. I did with my own father. Twice. I let him go. I went back once, I shared recently with you, and back and knelt down, and that was a wonderful experience with him. Really intimate and fantastic. My dad was not a bounce-on-your-knee type father. He was, he was <laughs> this is Victorian, you know, type rigid structure and discipline. Oh, he loved us. He loved us super well. No question ever in any of the kids. And he raised a, a good family. It was very good. Good home. Lovely atmosphere. But was he a, a, a hugging father? No. No, anything but. He wasn't that sort at all. He wouldn't pick me up. He wouldn't do any of that. Too busy. Nine kids. You know what I mean? <laughs> plenty, plenty to be getting on with. So that was not the relationship. Man, I got to be careful about my Abba, haven't I? I wonder, do I look at God like that? guess I probably do. How am I going to get that out of my system then? Oh, I know. I got to go back and let my dad... That's exactly right. I got to go back and let my father go somehow. And I thank God that he gave me a great opportunity. I was in Wales and I got a phone call saying, your father is dying. I panicked, jumped on a plane, got into Belfast, got a taxi, got to the hospital... And true enough, there he was, surrounded by drips and pipes and machines. He was in intensive care. He had all the stuff coming out of him. He was conscious, but he was dying. And as I saw him, I was so overwhelmed with love for him that I actually walked into the screened-off area and I got up on the bed, climbed on the bed, and as I did, I yanked out a tube and I picked my father up and it's one of the only memories of a hug that I ever have with him as he lay in that bed I picked him up and a nurse came in and screamed at me get off the bed what are you doing and I did and I sat down and I'll never forget her words she said again and again, didn't you see the tube? Didn't you see the tubes? And I said, no. All I could see was my father. 
You see tubes. I see my Father. And that's what it's like with God. And you can feel like the, the worst sinner on earth you know today. Covered in, like my dad, messed up. You've got to understand that God cuts through it all. And He sees you. Sees you. He wants to get to you. Wants to pick you up, yes, as Abba. And to know you that way and to bring you and nurture you and grow you to the point where one day you can say, Father, Father. Because you've found who you are in God. Not remaining a child, which is a beautiful thing and a fitting thing. But when God picks you up, my friend, He's taking you somewhere. He has a plan. He has a journey. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2. 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12. Elijah truly was a very special individual. Yes, he wasn't a people person. And he might not have pleased you or me very much. But he certainly pleased God because God sent a taxi for him. God sent a chariot for him. And brought him up into heaven. And in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 12, the happening is described. And the happening is shocking. You've got two men. You've got Elijah and Elisha. The sky opens up. And the heavens can be seen. Just look at me a moment. Do you understand? We'll read it. In fact, let me read, read, read the verse first. 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 12. Elisha saw this. He saw the sky open up and the chariot come. And Elisha cried out, My father! My father! The chariots and the horsemen of Israel. And Elijah not only recognized in Elijah... And accepted his fatherhood. But there's an inkling that he recognized this father also. That he knew him. In a way and in an intimacy that Elijah simply didn't. Turn to Luke's gospel, chapter 10. Luke 10, verse 22. This is astonishing. This is Jesus talking. Luke 10 and verse 22, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. And the one who, who the Father is except the Son. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. And in that little scripture there and in, in, in a few other places, Jesus reveals to us really a secret of the kingdom. Again, look up please. Stay with me folks. Very important. Jesus came to earth to do many things for you. To die on a cross to take away your sin, right? To fulfill the law and the prophets. But he came to do something very important. To reveal to you what? He came to reveal to you the Father. That's what he did. And the sad truth is, for many of us we never see that. And even though you may have been in church for decades, you could still be stuck in understanding who He is, your Father God, and being in relationship with Him. He says right there in John's Gospel, Jesus says to you, I came to earth to reveal the Father to you. 
I came to tell you about him, to introduce him. I came to bring him to you so that you would know him and make that powerful, awesome connection. Look at John's Gospel, chapter 14. John's Gospel, chapter 14 and verse 8. This is the famous incident with Philip, where Philip just did not know a triune God. John chapter 14, verse 8. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? And if you skip forward to verse 16, Jesus says a wonderful thing. Same chapter, John 14, 16. Jesus is being very patient with us. And in verse 16, he says this, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Do you know what that means? Look at me, please. Listen. God the Father, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, separation. Little bit of distance between us and our fathers or males, men on earth. And that goes for men and women. And so what does Jesus do? What, what does God do? He sends the Son. But Philip still doesn't recognize it. Still doesn't get it. And Jesus says, okay, you know what I'll do? I'll send you the Spirit. I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And maybe the Spirit will be able to draw you back and heal the wound and bring you back to that powerful connection with God Almighty, our Father in heaven. We were discussing this in this cell group. They said to Jesus, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he didn't say, our Jesus, our Holy Spirit. He taught you, he's leading you to your Father. And he wants you to know him, to know him, to find him and to know him. Last scripture is in the book of Malachi. Look at this because this is what's relevant for us. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. And verse 5. Look at this. Malachi chapter 4. This relates to us. Malachi 4, 5. The, the closing of the Old Testament. See. I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. That's the end times. What will Elijah do? He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I'll come and strike the land with a curse. And basically, in my opinion, what, what God is saying there, in the last days, relationships between parents and their children are going to be so cold, so distant, in the end, in the, in the last days, the love of many will grow cold. But God is a good God. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And in some way, God wants to put on you today that spirit of Elijah. And he's going to, I don't know how Elijah comes back. I don't know. They think of the two witnesses and things like that. But God wants to restore something that was lost in Eden. And that's been really badly tampered with. 
over the generations, particularly as we live. And God wants to put on you that spirit that will find God yourself, find your Father yourself, and bring other people to Him. Now, we're all different here. Very different people, very different backgrounds. On the back of your notes there, you will find a song. Just look at this song here. I found this this week. On Friday night, Joe opened up with a song that he had to dig back from the 1980s. (laughs) I had to go back to 1975 to find a song. Do you hear me? I had to go back to 1975. So don't tell me that the Father is drifting. Don't tell me that we've got this Godhead thing right. God the Father, God the Son. I don't think we have. I think we've become a Jesus-focused people, and there's reasons for that. I had to go back to 1975 to find a song that talks about God our Father in the way that I think it should be. I don't know what sort of person you are, but you analyze yourself. This is Ben. Give me your hand, Ben. Ben's very different, very different guy from me. Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. We were over in the church a couple of months ago. And some of the Sunday school workers came out and said, the kids have been playing up. Nothing gets my hackle up. I say, which kids? <laughs> Bring them here. And Ben, Elijah. And ben turns to me and says, Pastor Mike, you need to love them. So he said, settle down. You just need to love them. That's why you're in the Sunday school, not me. Hallelujah. (laughs) Praise God. We're all different. And you've got an inner being. That's fine. But God wants to touch you this morning. Maybe like a mirror to identify you. Maybe for the first time. Your relationship with men can be a blockage to you that you don't even realize. And I want you, all of us, me included, all men and women, to let those people in your life go and then come back to your father. Look at these words. Nisha is going to sing this to us. And as she sings this to it, you can sing along if you want, if you know it, but I want it to be ministry to you. Because I think the words of this song are perfect for what God wants to say to us today. Father, 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 I place into your hands the things that I can't do. Father, I place into your hands the times that I've been through. Father, I place into your hands the way that I should go, for I know I always can trust you. Father, I place into your hands my friends and family. Father, I place into your hands the things that trouble me. Father, I place into your hands the person that I would be, for I know I always can trust you. Father, we love to seek your face. We love to hear your voice. Father, we love to sing your praise and in your name rejoice. Father, we love to talk with you and in your presence rest, for we know we always can trust you. Father, I want to be with you and do the things you do. Father, I want to speak the words that you are speaking to. 
Father, I want to love the ones that you will draw to you. For I know that I am one with you. Just remain seated as Nisha sings this through and ministers to us.